Welcome to this episode of Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, we will be discussing the role of pharmacists in medical missions in an international setting. Our guest today is a pharmacist who works full-time in medical missions in West Africa. Welcome back to Disrupt. Last season, we discussed the role of the pharmacist in disaster medical response and in free medical clinics. To wrap up this theme of serving the underserved across the globe, we wanted to highlight the opportunity for pharmacists to serve in medical missions internationally. It should be no secret to our listeners that Cedarville University is a Christ-centered learning community and missions are at the heart of who we are. I'm pleased to have a special guest joining us today to discuss this exact topic. Our guest joins us today, actually here in studio with us, which is a real treat. He uh, serves full-time as a pharmacist on the mission field in West Africa. For safety and security reasons, we won't disclose his exact location or identity, but don't worry, you'll still get a great understanding of his role and ministry philosophy related to vocational medical missions. So welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for welcoming me. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to give our listeners uh, just a brief window into the type of work that you do. So give us a bit of background about yourself and your current role. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm working currently, um, like Dr. Cole has said, in West Africa um, as a medical mission pharmacist. And um, being a, a medical mission pharmacist looks a little different from your average pharmacist role in the United States. Um, I do a lot of different um, roles that would probably fall into ambulatory care or clinical pharmacy, but then also some outpatient and inpatient. Um, it's kind of a catch-all when you're the only pharmacist for the entire facility. Um, so I start out my mornings um, with handoff, and that's when the night team will get together with all the medical staff and present um, each patient, what their medications are, um, what their diseases are, you know, updates with labs, um, things that are important as we monitor the patient. And um, while we're doing that, I'm taking notes about different interventions and things that could be changed. And then once we finish that, uh, the medical providers will then take two or three or four you know, patients, each person that they're going to go round on and interact with. But I've also taken notes of these people that I want to go talk to them about. Um, so I'll round with them and try to make those interventions bedside. Um, so I do that. I also do a lot with um, inventory management and just trying to make sure that we have of the appropriate drugs that are needed when we need them. Um, that can be a, a challenge because all of our medications, or most of them, come from Europe. So it takes a while for them to come from Europe to Africa. Um, so we have to plan ahead and try to order based on what we think we'll need. And uh, yeah, a lot of what I do is also just interact with patients and, and share the gospel with them. I spend a lot of time um, interacting with them, and uh, we go into a lot of deeper topics rather than just what is your medication and, you know, are you taking it the right way? Um, but we will talk about their, their eternal state um, and where they believe that they're going um, when they pass away. I think that gives our listeners a really good window into what the day-to-day -day might look like for you on the field. I'd be curious to hear your story of how you first decided to get involved in medical missions work full-time. Thank you. 
Yeah, so I, I've wanted to do medical missions for quite a long time. Um, I've actually wanted to be a pharmacist ever since fourth grade. Um, there was a, a friendly community pharmacist who asked me when I was a, a young child, what do you want to do when you grow up? Um, most fourth graders, you know, want to be an NBA player or the NFL, and I've always known that that's not in my future. <laughs> so I just said, I don't know. Um, and he said, well, if you like math or science, you should consider pharmacy. So pharmacy was always in the back of my mind. This is something that I want to pursue. I'm, you know, going to take the classes of math and science, heavy course load in high school. And when I was in 10th grade, I really started to read my Bible, and it was super interesting, and the, the words were jumping off the pages, and I, I wanted to share it with other people, and, and I would just get excited and passionate about it. And I remember there was a season where I thought I should stop pursuing pharmacy and become a pastor, because telling people about Jesus is what pastors do. They preach. Um, but then the light bulb went off when I was in 10th grade that I could do both. I could be a, a, a medical missionary and be a pharmacist. Um, so I, I pulled out my laptop and I, I Googled Christian pharmacy schools and Cedarville was the number one response. So I put in my information and a few days later I had a packet in the mail of all the information. Um, so that's how I, I kind of settled on, on medical missions. It was this desire to share the word of God with people as I practice pharmacy. I, I love hearing that story because a lot of people think that when you go into pharmacy that there's only one thing you can do with it, right? And yet your story shows us that it can actually have a greater purpose beyond just serving those physical needs, but also those spiritual needs that our, our patients have, which often, and, and really we believe are the most important things that need to be addressed. So it's my understanding that you had to do a bit of advocating for yourself as a pharmacist with the agency you're partnered with, not because they were against having a pharmacist, but they'd never experienced that before. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I had gone to many different conferences um, and events, and I would ask different agencies, what do you have available for a, a medical missionary pharmacist? And they would always say, well, we've got plenty of positions for nurses and for doctors and surgeons and dentists, but we haven't really sent a pharmacist before. And that was something that I was like, okay, let's, let's work on that. Um, so in the summer between my second and third professional year of pharmacy school, I traveled to West Africa, two different hospitals in two different countries that have affiliations with three different agencies. And while I was working there, it allowed me to see a, an idea of what was going on behind the curtain of, of the ministry. Like you can go up to their booth and you can talk with a representative and it'll sound one way, but then when you're actually on the field, it, it might just feel different. So I was able to go on the field, interact with their team there. And then um, there was actually a few doctors that wrote back to their agency and said, we really enjoyed having a pharmacist on the team that really helped us, that took pressure and stress off of us. If we had a question, we could just ask him and trust that he was going to find a good answer that's based in evidence. Um, so when I came back, I was going around this conference again, and I went up to one of the booths, and I presented myself and said, you know, this is my name. Hi, I'm here. And they said, we've been waiting for you to come. We've, we've heard about you. We, we want you to apply for this pharmacy position. And I said, I, I'm not, I haven't heard of this position before. When, when did this become a thing? And they said, well, we want you to be the first one. Um, we want you to kind of, you know, start it and, and see how it goes. Um, so that's my journey to becoming a pharmacist on the mission field, um, specifically through um, the agency that I'm going with. Oh, that's great. Before we dive into some, some of the things that our listeners, I think, really enjoy, which is how do you 
problem solve and innovate and do some things on the field. I'd love to hear just a little bit more about your philosophy of ministry as a medical missionary. What are some of those important concepts that you're constantly thinking about that keep you focused on the work that you're doing? That's a great question. Um, I really like that. So my philosophy of missions kind of goes back to the book, Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Uh, I read that multiple times, but I think the first time was in undergrad. And Piper starts out by, by writing and saying, missions exist because worship doesn't. And he pulls out the idea that if everyone worshiped the Lord passionately, we wouldn't even need missionaries because everyone would already be delighting in the Lord. But it's because he is not our greatest delight for most of us, and, and for myself included, that's something I need to work on. Um, because he is not our greatest delight, that's why we need to do missions. Um, so my philosophy of, of medical missions is really just seeing that, that Jesus, the Lord, is my greatest delight, and I need to constantly remind myself of that, but now I get to do it for my job and remind other people and, and help them see that Jesus is the greatest good for them. Um, so that's the, the real philosophy that, that can continue to, to energize me and carry me through some days that could be harder or a long day or times where we're you know, in a low-resource setting and, and feeling a little burned out just remembering that Jesus is our greatest good. He's our greatest delight. He's the reason why we're there. We're not doing it to build up ourselves. We're doing it to make him great and minimize us. Yeah, I love that. So I want to turn back a little bit to the ministry context that you're in. Of course, you're seeing conditions and disease states that for many of our listeners who are here in the United States don't see as commonly. So um, take us back to kind of that day in the life that you started with. What are some of the common medical problems that you see, and how does that differ from maybe some of the things you saw in your training um, here in the United States? Yeah, so we kind of have a joke among the medical team. Um, we say that every patient presents with malaria plus complications. Okay. Um, and we say that just because when we do a TDR or a blood smear, most of them have at least one of those that's positive, which indicates that they either have active malaria or they just had malaria, or they're going to have a positive blood smear soon. So that's kind of something that we always have in the back of our mind. What, what tropical disease could they have on top of their diabetes, on top of their heart failure, on top of their blood pressure issues? Hey, people still present with those issues all the time. Um, the ambulatory care diseases that many Americans have, we still see that a lot in the African patients that we treat. Um, but then thinking of know, is it typhoid related? Is there any component of, you know, something like diphtheria or malaria, or we see tetanus. Um, we just see things that in America, we'd never think you you'd probably never expect to bump into a potential polio patient or leprosy. Um, but those are things that we have to keep in the back of our mind of, well, that could be a thing. Maybe they weren't vaccinated as a kid or, you know, this still exists in this country. So let's keep that as a possibility. Um, yeah, we, we see all kinds of different things. So I would definitely say we see a, a large number of your, your regular ambulatory care disease states, um, you know, the heart failure and diabetes, but then we also get everything else sprinkled in. Yeah. Related to those different uh, medical issues that you see, What's the balance of your role related to dispensing and inpatient clinical roles and ambulatory care clinical roles? I, I'm guessing you do a little bit of all of it, but what, what does that balance look like? Yeah, I, it kind of varies day by day, um, depending on the staff or 
the census for the hospital. But um, I'm currently not doing any dispensing. Uh, I don't do any outpatient pharmacy dispensing work. Um, the only outpatient things that I am kind of involved with is just the inventory and trying to make sure that we have the appropriate drugs. Most of my time is spent inpatient and making recommendations or um, having conversations with doctors and following patients' labs or checking with the patient. Have you had this side effect? Um, there's a lot of things that I, I can think a little differently than the medical team or the surgical team and ask different questions to kind of pull out a little bit more of the piece of the picture or I'll do a complete med rec for the patient of everything that they take because the patients there aren't aware of what their medications do or what they're for. So they'll show up at the hospital with a bag of all these different medications half used and I have to kind of piece together like the receipt or like the date of when they bought that of have they actually been taking it? Are they being adherent? Are they not? Um, so I do a lot of that. Um, man, there's just so many different things that, that we do. Um, there have been some moments where I'm compounding chemo drugs. Uh, there's a lot of, of times where I'm doing antimicrobial stewardship. Um, the cultures have came back, let's narrow the therapy. Or in general, we don't need to start out with four or five drugs. We can start out with one or two um, because they're broad spectrum, and then we can narrow it after that. Um, so I, I do a lot of that. I, I, I teach. I'll give 7 a.m. lectures on Friday mornings um, about different topics. Like we got uh, HbA1c was a new lab that we could order. So I did a three-week series of lectures on what it does and how it changes our, our prescribing and how it can make us more sure of how the patient's um, blood glucose is actually being controlled for three months. It's kind of hard to cheat the system with the A1c. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, a pharmacy position that you're not just locked into one specific area, but you can really cater to whichever area you're super interested in and make it whatever you want to be. In a lot of ways, you sound like a jack of all trades as a pharmacist. And, and for a lot of people, that can really be a satisfying role where every single day is different. And I'm sure that's the case uh, in your field as well. Um, so I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about what you believe are some of the unique challenges you face in the work that you do every day. What are some of those challenges that come to your mind? Yeah, so there's a lot of different challenges. One in particular that comes to mind is just the role of traditional medicine because most people will go to a traditional healer before they come to the hospital. So there's a couple different types of traditional healers. Some of them will make a potion and you drink that potion. Um, there's others that you go there and you just basically pay someone to pray for you. And the belief is that the more you pay, the stronger our prayers will be. So the people kind of use those first, and then they show up to the hospital, and they are out of answers. They have no money. They've, they've tried everything. So now we'll try Western medicine. Um, and then we try to kind of reverse the things that they've done. Some of the potions that they've drank have really destroyed their liver or their kidneys, their creatinines through the roof um, because they've been drinking all kinds of basically poison. Um, like antifreeze. So that's something that we that we deal with that's unique and just the, the, the beliefs that people have with traditional medicine. I have an example. Um, there's a belief that if you have a really deep festering wound, a way that you can help clean that is by rubbing cow dung deep into the wound and they believe that that will help as a binder to close up that wound. Now, those of us who have been educated in the West know that that just introduces all kinds of different bacteria than would normally be there. So now we have to cover for all kinds of different bugs. Um, but that's just an interesting thing that, that we see that I've had to train my brain to think of like, what's the craziest thing that 
this could be because it's most likely that. Yeah, I I can't imagine having to think of different possibilities when patients come to you that otherwise we typically don't have to, to think about here. So one of the things we talk about a lot here is innovation and creative problem solving. And I'm confident that creative problem solving is an everyday need in your field. So can you give us maybe a couple of examples about how you have had to be creative to meet patient needs in a resource limited environment? So the one way that I've had to use um, different creativity, you know, ideas to, to meet the needs in this low resource setting is just the usage of drugs for maybe not their intended purpose, but a side effect that, that it can work for. Um, I'm trying to think of an example, and there's, there's not one that's on the top of my head, but we've got a, in the doctor's office or in the doctor's lounge, really, we keep all kinds of, of medications that might be more expensive or they come from the United States, so we kind of guard them there. And they might have expired. They might, you know, have been something that um, people still don't really love to use. So it comes over to, the, to Africa because it was donated. It's free. It's cheap or something like that. And in the U.S., we would never think of trying it for that. But I'm like, well, I think that might work. So let's give it a go. Um, and we've seen some positive benefits with, with that. Oftentimes we try to avoid, you know, just inventing or not inventing, but trying to, you know, think outside the box. Normally we have a pretty good um, protocol with how we, how we treat different diseases. Um, but every once in a while I have to just think, okay, well, I know that a side effect of this drug is this. So let's use it because of that side effect, knowing that, you know, it's not going to cause any harm. Um, it's better than nothing. It's better than, you know, our alternative of just sending the patient away saying, good luck. Um, so we, we kind of change, not change, but we, we have to know a lot about how the drug works so that it works appropriately for what we need it, even if it's not a labeled indication. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a fantastic example. And you're having to pull on your own pharmacologic knowledge, your clinical acumen from both experience and training to really ask, how do we best care for a patient when maybe we don't have exactly what we want? So I think that's a, a great example. So I am curious, do you have any most memorable moments from your work as a medical missions pharmacist that come to mind? Yeah, there's a few that really come to mind as kind of my, I would say my, the memories that I think about when I'm, I'm needing some uplifting. So there's the, the patients that really inspire you and make you feel like, yes, this is really worth it. This is it. Um, and I'll, I'll share, you know, two of those. Uh, one of them is a, a patient, I, I can't say his name just to protect him, um, but um, he had tuberculosis. They had put a chest tube in. And he was not doing well. He was continually putting out fluid. Um, just his chest tube was always draining. It was always full. They needed to empty it again. And there were problems with the suction. And um, I knew that something that could help him improve was just exercise, like just move, get outside, do laps around the hospital property, anything. So he was inpatient for maybe seven weeks. And every day when I was done with work, I would go over to him and I'd say, come on, let's go on a walk. Um, and he would get all excited and we'd go around and we'd do two, three or four laps. Um, and he would always carry around his, his suction, his, his, you know, container with him and the chest tubes still in. Um, and we'd walk around and, and just talk. And he would ask me all kinds of questions like, why do Christians not sacrifice animals? Or 
you know, and that opens the door for me. Well, Jesus is the sacrifice once for all. Um, so he would, he would ask all kinds of questions. He knew I was a Christian. I knew he wasn't. Um, and we just became friends over those seven weeks. You know, when you spend 30 minutes to an hour with someone every day for seven weeks, um, we grew really close. So that's, that's one of those patient cases that I'm just like, oh man, that was, that was so rewarding. Um, and he wasn't necessarily one of my patients. I just was rounding in the surgical ward and I saw this guy who looked like he was my age. And so I just started talking with him and said, hey, you want to go on a walk? Um, so that's one of the patients that I really look back to as a, a good um, experience, a, a good encounter. Another one would be a, a woman who was palliative. Um, she had pretty far progressed breast cancer. Um, and when she first showed up, I did a complete medication review on her. And I saw that she had tons of different drugs and diagnosis. And I was looking through x-rays and I was looking through different labs and and I saw that, that she really had, it seemed like every other facility took their money, did a bunch of tests, found out that they couldn't help her, and then just sent her away, not really telling her what was wrong. So when I finally pieced together all the pictures that she's got really far progressed breast cancer and, you know, she's going to be palliative, we told them she's palliative. So we started her on all kinds of medications to make her comfortable, and we explained what palliative care is. And the hospital has a program that once you're palliative, all your visits, all your follow-ups, all your drugs, everything is free. It's covered by the hospital. So that way they can come back and they don't have to worry about money or anything. They can just come back for care and to hear about Jesus. So she comes back uh, one day before her scheduled visit and she wasn't doing well. She was sick. Her, you know, her disease had progressed as, as we expected it to. And um, I'm rounding on her, and I just have this, this inclination, this feeling of you have to loop back. You have to talk with her. You have to. So when I finished rounding on all of my other patients, I grabbed one of the evangelists or one of the chaplains who speaks her language, and I said, can you come with me? And he's absolutely, yeah, let's go. So we go in, and I start talking to her, and she understands the language that I speak, but then I had a translator there who would um, also communicate in her tribal, her, her mother language, just because that is even more impactful for her. But I explained the idea of transitions, of how we, we go through our day, and I, I wake up in the morning and I eat breakfast, and then I transition to getting ready to work, and then I transition to walking to work, and then we hand off, and I transition to rounding with patients, and then when I finish that, I transition to the next thing. And when I was sure that she understood the idea of transitions, I said to her, you're closest to the biggest transition of your life, where you will either transition between eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And are you aware, like, do you acknowledge that you are close to that transition? And she said, yes. Um, and previously she was so weak that she couldn't, she wouldn't look at you. She was just hunched over all the time. But now she was sitting a little up, up a little bit more and making eye contact. And you could tell she was really engaged. And then I turned it over to the chaplain after I was sure that she understood transitions. And the chaplain took over and he just, he's sharing the gospel and he's, he's explaining it all. And I I can tell that he's starting at the beginning. And he, he takes 15 minutes to explain it all really well. And then he starts to slow down. And his voice is getting a little softer. It's quiet. And I'm looking at the patient. She's still staring, you know, paying attention. And it's just completely silent. And then she slowly nods her head, yes. She doesn't utter any word, but it's that movement of her head. Um, and then the chaplain starts yelling and screaming, and he's praising the Lord. And... One of her daughters is a born-again believer, and, and she's praying and, and so happy. And, and just, it was amazing for me to just sit in that room and be a part of this and just watch it. 
And I'm no one special. I didn't do anything amazing. Um, I just opened the door and got that conversation to help our our brother in Christ, our national brother, be faithful in his job of sharing the gospel. Um, yeah, a beautiful story of, of the Lord captivating someone's soul and just bringing her home. Those are poignant stories uh, and, and moments, and I, I'm appreciative of you sharing all of those details. It's fantastic, and praise the Lord for the work that is happening through what you're doing. I, I'm curious, at the end of the day, how do you define success in the work that you're doing? You, you have a lot of things you're trying to juggle, but how do you define success? How do you know you are successful in your work? So defining success in the realm of medical missions is interesting because we are there to tell people about Jesus. That's why the hospital exists. But we also want to provide excellent medical care. You know, right patient, right drug, right route, all of that. We, we want to make sure that we're doing the correct thing. We're practicing guidelines. But at the end of the day, if they don't know Jesus Christ and they die, they're going to the same place as someone who never came to our hospital. So for me, when I, when I look at it in terms of success, there's a few things. The first one is boldly proclaiming the truth of who Jesus Christ is, how he has rescued them from their sin. He's rescued us, and it's because of him that we can continue on in joy following the Lord. But second off, continuing to practice good medicine for the glory of the Lord. Like we can practice medicine as best as we can, and that itself can be a testimony and, and honor the Lord. So it's not just making sure that everyone has optimized care because that's not the most important thing in the world. The most important thing that we can do is help people know that Jesus is their savior. Um, so when I, when I think of defining success, it's tricky because I want to say that it's all about Jesus, and it is, but we can also honor and glorify Jesus by practicing really, really good medicine. Hmm. I, I think that's great, and I think that fights against one of the critiques I've heard from those sometimes outside of the medical missions world that we're simply holding out medicine as like an incentive or bait. Essentially, you're trying to provide for every need of the person. It's the physical. It's the the mental and the social and, and ultimately the spiritual needs of that patient as well. And, and I love the holistic approach that you're taking to providing for every one of those needs of everyone that you come in, in contact with. So I'd love to know, um, how do you balance the pressure to meet both healthcare needs and ministry? So, and maybe you've already answered this, but how do you foster medicine for mission instead of medicine supporting ministry, if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So the hospital that I'm currently working at is, is relatively unique in that the management very much so has the vision of we are missionaries who practice medicine, and we are not doctors and pharmacists who also love Jesus. No, like the first and foremost thing is glorifying the Lord as missionaries. It's evangelism. So I have been blessed with um, boss. The, the CMO is extremely open to ministry. If I ask him, hey, can I leave a few hours early so that I can go into the village and evangelize? He's like, absolutely. Every single time he says, yes. If I get my work done, go for it. Um, and so I, I've been blessed by that. Uh, another thing is every Wednesday in the afternoons, every missionary has been told, do not come back to the hospital. You are, your Wednesday afternoons are time for you to go to the village or interact, have, have locals over to your house, go preach, um, prepare a message that you're going to be speaking on Sunday. So that's something that has been intentionally set aside by administration 
they, they really tell you on a Wednesday afternoon, we shouldn't see you at the hospital because your ministry is elsewhere. Um, so that really sets a good, um, a good expectation for us that we're not just there to work in the hospital for 80 hours a week. Our job is, is really to, to minister. It's to tell people about Jesus. Um, so that helps it stay in the forefront of our mind of, of we, we need to continually look for those ministry opportunities outside of just hospital work. Yeah, that's great. So it brings me to a question that I, I think a lot of people have related to this, and that is, how do you assimilate to a new language and a new culture and a new community? You're not just the the saviors riding in on your white horse trying to make everyone's healthcare uh, problems go away. There's so much more and that's involved in integrating yourself there. So what are some of the things you've done to acquire and master new languages and integrate yourself into those communities where you're living and working? My wife and I have been blessed with uh, the ability to learn languages. I wouldn't say that we are excellent at learning them, but we dedicated a lot of time to it. Um, so for in two years, or excuse me, in one year, we had learned two different languages at a level where we could communicate and work in a hospital with medical vocabulary. And um, I'm currently preaching in one of those. Uh, so I think that the Lord did just give us a, a, a ability to pick up languages, um, but I, I wouldn't classify us as excellent with languages. Um, but something that we've done to help um, learn some of the culture is I play soccer on one of the local community teams. Each team has a or each village has their own team, and we travel to different villages with games either on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. And they were super excited to have someone who was a missionary who actually could play soccer and was competitive. <laughs> there you go. Um, so that was a, an exciting thing for me to be able to do that. I love to get exercise. But now I'm in the village. I'm playing with guys who are in their upper teens, low 20s, mid 20s. But when a, when a soccer game happens, it's a community event. The entire village comes out. They all watch. And, like, the janitors from the hospital will be there. The, the maintenance men will be there. And if I miss a game, I'll have people come up and ask me at the hospital, where were you? Like, you're the footballer. You were supposed to be there. Where were you? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I, I was doing something else. And they're like, oh, that's not okay. You know, football is important. You need to be there. So... That's the way that we get involved in the in the community, and my wife will come along and she'll sit on the on the sideline and talk with the, the ladies and um, interact with the children there. So um, that's a way that we've gotten involved. Both of us um, also um, will go into um, one of the, I would say, one of the neighborhoods that has a lot of different foreigners, um, foreigners from other parts of Africa that come to this area. Um, they all live in the same region, and my wife and I speak one of the languages of of maybe fifteen of the families there. So we'll just knock on their door and show up, and they welcome us in, and they give us tea or something to drink, and then we just sit and talk with them. So a, a really good way to get integrated with them is to just get off the compound and, like, go to their house. People are so hospitable there, and they will open up their door and welcome you in, and then they'll just want to talk with you. Um, so the, I would say the best way that we've gotten ingrained in culture and learned culture is, is just talking with people. Oh, that's great. Now, I'm curious also, what roles do churches back here in the United States, but also local churches play in the work that you're doing? So I'll start with the United States churches. Uh, we have churches who, who support us um, financially, but then also through prayer. And uh, specifically this past Christmas time, we had two churches who sent over money where we could buy goats 
and give a goat as a gift to someone for Christmas. So we gave one to the pastor of the church that we go to, and we gave one to um, one of the families um, in this, this, this town that we go to of where the foreigners live. Um, just as a sign of friendship, um, we gave them a live goat and said, Merry Christmas. Like, this reminds us of the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. So we're going to give you this goat. Um, but the local churches, the role that they play, um, we do mobile clinics. So what that looks like is a team of um, myself and then nurses, medical providers, doctors. We will go to a village with medicine and stethoscopes, and we will check people's blood pressure and their blood glucose, and we will make small, well, the doctors will make small diagnoses, and, and then we will provide them with medications, and a month later, we'll go back and follow up, do it again. Um, but the pastors from the local churches will come along as our translators. So the pastors are the ones who are translating, but then they're also given the opportunity to share the gospel freely with these patients, and they're the pastors from that town. So then they know these people. If we leave, the pastors are still there, and they can invite them to church. They can follow up with them. Um, so that's a way that the, the pastors and the local churches get really, really involved with our mission as the hospital. Yeah, that's great. And I, I love the partnership. I think you've highlighted the community partnerships that are involved in the work that you do, but also the vital local ministry and church partnerships. I mean, this is a holistic model that's really been thought through and prayerfully implemented where you work, which is great. I would love to know, um, and maybe you've already answered this, but give you an opportunity to do it again. What do you feel like the most rewarding aspect of medical missions work is for you and your wife? I think the most rewarding thing for my wife and I is when we see people accept Christ. Um, it just, it's, it's the reason why we're there um, because we, we love Jesus so much and we, we want to delight in him more and more each day. Um, and when we can share with someone and see it click for them, that it, they realize that, oh, wow, this is the most important thing. And I've been missing this, but now I have it. This is the treasure that I've been searching for. When we see that, um, that, that, that's the most important thing. That's why we're there. I, I love that. And I have to also, I guess, address that you probably have days where it can be really discouraging. So uh, what do you and your wife do to, to stay grounded in those days that are harder, where maybe it's the weather conditions that are really difficult? Maybe it's the fact that you don't have the resource that you want to really help a patient. Um, maybe it's um, just frustration with even though you've learned new languages, you're, you're not quite where you want to be to communicate as best you want to. So what are the things that keep you grounded and focused on your goals? So Medical Missions definitely offers its fair share of sources of frustration or difficulty, um, whether it's, like you said, the, the temperature, the climate, the lack of food that we prefer, um, sometimes you just want to be able to speak English, and you can't. Um, so there are definitely those moments where it can be discouraging. Um, but I think for, for my wife and I, the most encouraging thing or the most important thing is our regular time in the Word um, because we read the Bible, and then we're amazed. Like later in the day, something that we read jumps out, and that's why we read it today because the Lord knew that this was going to happen to us. He knew that this circumstance was going to happen um, so those are things that, that really, really encourage us. Um, and also just knowing that tomorrow is a new day and that there are new mercies tomorrow. And every day the mercies are, are, are new and they come and they, they are strong. And, you know, God doesn't just send us on the mission field and say good luck. 
He goes with us and he provides us with everything that we need, not only to get by, but I would, I would argue to spiritually thrive. If we have accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, and that is enough to, to carry us and to allow us to thrive. It's not just, you know, limping along saying, oh man, woe is me. It's no, no, no. We come with a message to share that Jesus is Lord. He is the source of our hope. Um, so when we have those moments that are hard, I, I really just like to come back to recognizing that we've got, we've got what we need. Um, the Holy Spirit is with us. The Lord is, is with us. Jesus Christ goes before us or goes before the Lord or goes before God on our behalf. Um, yeah. Wow. It's just an amazing thing that, that we are children of the Lord, children of God. It is. Amen to that. So I want to transition to maybe this has piqued an interest in someone that's listening today to say, I'd love to learn a little bit more about this. This resonates with me. And wow, I didn't realize a pharmacist could do these types of things. First, let me just ask this question. Is there a need for pharmacists and medical missions, more of them, either domestically or abroad? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. So with that being the case, uh, what, are, what advice do you have for a pharmacist, a student pharmacist, who might feel that they could be called to medical missions? Where should they start? So there's a few different areas that you could start. I think it's really important to go to some of these missions conferences. If your university has one, take advantage of that. Talk to the different representatives who set up their booths. Um, one that you could go to is the Global Missions Health Conference in Louisville, Kentucky. That's great. Um, another one is the uh, Cross Conference, which also happens to take place in Louisville. Um, Passion is another conference. Um, there's so many different missions conferences that go on, and these agencies want to talk to you. If you're interested, that's why they're there. Um, so I would say take advantage of missions conferences. Second off, I would say, if, if possible, go on a medical missions trip. Um, and I would, I would say try to stretch at least six weeks. Six weeks is long enough where it's, you're, you're past the honeymoon phase and medical missions is no longer like exciting and fun, but you get to the point where it's, it's hard. And that's where you see the Lord really sustain you. I've said that, that missions is probably 95% a grind and it's difficult. And then there's the 5% that is extremely rewarding and super fun. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that our supporters want to see in the newsletters. But 95% of the time, it's just like, Lord, please sustain me. You know, help me through. Just hold me. Um, and six weeks on the mission field for a, for a short-term trip is enough where you experience some of that crying out to the Lord and calling on him where he is the only one who can comfort you. Um, so for someone who's interested, I would say, go to conferences, go on a missions trip, really put yourself out there. Um, and, and really sell yourself that you, you are a great option for a missions agency. And they're, they're wanting to send qualified individuals. Um, if they find someone that is qualified, they will continue to talk with you and follow up with you and make sure that you're doing okay. Um, so really be proactive if you can. Get out there, you know, let people know that you're interested, and um, it'll work out. Hmm, that's great advice. Before we finish, do you have any last words that you feel are important for people to know about the work you do or any advice that you'd have um, beyond what you've just shared for someone who's interested in learning more about medical missions? 
Yeah, I do have some advice, um, kind of closing remarks. And this is something that carried me all throughout pharmacy school. Um, so if you would ask my advisor in pharmacy school, um, there was moments that I did not enjoy it. There was moments that I was just wanting to drop out and go on the mission field right away because I can already tell people about Jesus now. Um, and she was very intentional in saying, you need to finish your school. Come on, like you can do it. Like it's worth it. Once you have that degree, more doors will be open. And one thing that carried me through was just this deep trust in the Lord that if God wants me to be a pharmacist, I will become one. If God wants me to become a medical missionary, I will become one. If God wants me to be married and go on the field as a married medical missionary, he'll provide a wonderful wife who's, who's fit to go on the mission field with me. And God has done all of that. And it's incredible to look back now and see that. But in the moments where you're like freaking out, I don't know if I can pass this exam or there doesn't seem to be any mission agencies that are interested in me or I don't have the time or even the money to go on a missions trip. Trust the Lord that if God wants you in that position, it's going to happen some way or another. And if he doesn't want you in that position, it's because he has something that's even better planned for you. So I, I share that with, with students in pharmacy schools at different times of, you know, you don't need to be freaked out over biochemistry or you don't need to be freaked out over your, your anatomy and physiology course or organic chemistry or, or different things like that. Because if God wants you to get there, you will. He's going to orchestrate it. It's going to work out. Whether or not you get a 4.0 or not, you're still going to get to where God wants you. He's in control. He's capable of doing that. Um, so it's this deeply rooted trust in the Lord that we can't lose sight of. When things get confusing, when things get difficult, it needs to draw us back to he's sovereign, and I can rest in that. Well, that is such a good word, and I, I don't have anything really that I could add to that. Um, one last thought that came to my mind is for those who are thinking about doing medical missions after doing their training, uh, one of the concerns may be finances, right? Well, how in the world am I going to do this and pay off all my loans and everything else that I have going on? Well, there are options like the public uh, student loan forgiveness program. And I believe that's something that um, has been in, uh, available to you. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I have applied for and been accepted to the public service loan forgiveness program, which allows me to, to go overseas and not really worry a ton about my student loans. Sometimes I'll open up the app and see the number, and that is pretty scary. Um, but I trust that that will work out, um, that the program will continue. Um, and if, if that falls through, there are other agencies like MedSend. Um, MedSend is one that you can apply through, and if you are a medical professional currently overseas serving, they will pay for your, your monthly payment on, on your student loans. Um, so MedSend works how, like, there are these providers or these surgeons, dentists, doctors who are older and closer to retirement or just really passionate about people going on the mission field, but they couldn't for some reason. So if they've got extra income, they give it to MedSend, and then MedSend utilizes it for those who are on the field currently but still have a lot of loans. So MedSend is an option. The PSLF program is a good option. I would say check that out also. Um, so student loans to me are, are not a reason to wait. Um, a lot of times people think, well, maybe I should just be, a, I'll be a really good steward and I'll stay in the U.S. and I'll work really hard for three or four years and I'll pay everything off. But oftentimes what ends up happening is they work for three or four years, but in that time they've also bought a house and upgraded the car 
and maybe they have kids that are now starting school. And then it gets even harder to leave because you don't want to uproot everything for your children. You don't want to sell your house. Like you don't want to sell your cars. So then it's just a lot easier to not go. Um, but I think using the MedSend and PSLF is a very good option to, to be obedient and to go right when the Lord calls you. Oh, that's great. Well, we could keep talking all day, right? But um, I think this is an appropriate place to end it. So I just want to say a hearty thank you for coming on and opening uh, our listeners' eyes to the fact that medical missions pharmacists exist as a career, and this can be a place in which you can make an impact that goes well beyond the day-to-day work, but can extend into eternity. So thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. Thanks for listening.